standing in a checkout line at a local store, and I had the opportunity to observe a small slice of human drama. A child had gone missing, and the mom was frantically describing her five-year-old boy to a very concerned store employee. And if you're a parent, and that's ever happened to you, you know that feeling. It's horrible, right? You've lost something as precious as a child, and you have this gut-wrenching, pure, unadulterated fear boiling up inside of you. Well, the good news is within minutes, they had located the child, and I got to watch as, first of all, this wave of relief just washed over top of the mom when she found out that her child was safe. And then I got to watch the reunion, which was really cool too. Store employee brings the little boy around the corner. Mom runs to the little boy. Little boy runs to the mom. I thought the little guy was going to pass out from lack of oxygen. His mom hugged him so tight. And after the massive hug, the little boy literally just pushes his mom back. And this is what he says. With all the conviction of a five-year-old, don't you ever lose me again. That is no fun being lost, right? I'm sure most of us can remember or recall a time as a child or adult when we were lost. We remember that, that loss, that, fir- that, that fear, the uncertainty, the mounting tension, that knot in your stomach that gets tighter and tighter as you come to this realization that I, I don't know where I am. I don't know what to do. Nothing around me is familiar right now. I recall a time when I was younger, we're on a family vacation, we're trying to find a hotel and it's getting later and later and later and the tension in the front seat between my mom and dad is getting thicker and thicker and thicker. My dad was convinced he knew exactly how to get to the hotel. My mom was not as convinced and in pure male style, my dad was not going to stop and ask for directions. I mean, I thank God every day for GPS. It has saved so many marriages over the years. And the tension is continuing to rise and rise and rise because mom keeps saying, look, let's just stop and ask for directions. Let's just stop and ask for directions. And the tension elevates and elevates to a point where my mom just says, look, please, can we just stop and ask for directions? To which my dad responded, I am not lost. I just don't have a clue where I am right now. Right? Like, I know there are some people that, that look at the story of Moses wandering around in the wilderness, and I think this is one of the deductions, right? He wandered around in the wilderness because he was a guy and refused to stop and ask for directions. And all the ladies in the room said, yeah, you're quiet, but you were there. I know that, all right? I mean, it's no fun being lost. There's just no joy in losing your way. There's no glory in getting turned around to the point where you don't have a clue where to go or what to do next. I think the only thing that's worse than being lost is being lost and not even knowing it. And boy, it's easy to get lost in the 21st century, isn't it? Shifting morals, the perceived lack of absolutes, this shifting truth thing that just keeps moving all over the place. And the busyness of our lives contribute to those moments when we find ourselves looking around with this dazed and confused look, asking questions like, where did my passion go? Why am I here? Where's God in the middle of all this? What's the purpose of my life? Not only where am I, but who am I? Where's my direction? And where where did my hope go? Well, I only know of one solution and answer to all of those questions, and that is a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about again this week. In October 1942, a pilot by the name of Rickenbacker was flying what was known as a flying fortress over the Pacific Ocean. It was a huge plane. It went down, and the only thing that was left behind were three life rafts and the crew that were in them. For more than a month, true story, they fought sharks, hunger, thirst, and weather just to stay alive. Rickenbacker wrote a book about it years later. One morning after leading the men in devotions, Rickenbacker pulled his hat down and actually tried to sleep, and he awoke 
to a strange feeling, he felt webbed feet on the top of his head. He opened one eye and saw his entire crew staring at the seagull that had landed on the top of his head. Rickenbacker <laughs> caught the bird and it actually saved their life because it became fish bait and that's what they lived off of for more than a month out there. Rickenbacker wrote in his book after these ordeal, he wrote these words, there was no help and no hope in sight. We were lost. In the beginning, many of the men were agnostics or atheists, but at the end of our terrible ordeal, each in his own way discovered God in the vast empty loneliness of the ocean. Each man found salvation, strength in prayer, and a community of feeling developed which created a liveliness of human fellowship and worship and a gentle sense of peace. In the middle of the Pacific Ocean, what kept those men alive was this thought that someone was looking for them. Someone was looking for them. And I can tell you, Jesus came looking for those men because more than just survival, salvation actually happened in that story. Jesus wanted to be their hope. He wanted their souls. Well, just like those men that were lost in those life rafts, we're all lost. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him being Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of all of us. We're all in the same boat. We're lost. We're in desperate need of someone who knows more than we do to come looking for us because the truth is we can't help ourselves. And in Luke chapter 15, we find a story about exactly that, being lost. Jesus is talking to a group of people and they don't even know they're lost. He's talking to a group of religious folks again and they're upset as usual because they think Jesus is spending too much time with the messy people, with the broken people, with the hurting people. And they can't figure out why he would choose to spend time with them as opposed to spending time with nice, tidy, religious church people like them. Jesus senses their hearts, knows what's going on, and he tells them a story. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's a good story. It's a story about being found. It's actually a story about a finding God who risks it all in order to go out and find just one. It's a story about a party in heaven that happens every single time a lost sinner is brought home. Well, I want to focus on the human part of the story this weekend. And the human part actually comes in the form, not of the sheep, but in the shepherd. I'll be honest, I kind of struggled with the metaphor all week. Let's face it, not many of us have a context for sheep and shepherds. We just don't. And I tried to come up with some modern parallel that would help me explain this picture that Jesus uses, but I couldn't find a better metaphor than the one Jesus uses, so I'm sticking with it, okay? But in order to help us get on the same page, let's do a little sheep 101, okay? According to Webster, 
sheep are any form of various ruminant mammals related to the goats, but stockier and lacking a beard in the male. That helpful? It also says this, they are a timid and defenseless creature. That's a clue. According to Webster, a shepherd is one who tends sheep. So you got a sheep and someone who looks after them. That's the story. Let me give you some context. Ancient shepherds were the one constant in a sheep's life. He lived with them, cared for them, helped them in distress, protected them, watched over them. Every night, he would gather the sheep into what was known as a fold. It was like a stone ring, about four and a half feet high that would keep predators out. And the shepherd would literally make his body as a gate so that he could protect these beautiful sheep that he owned. A shepherd's voice is the first human voice that a sheep would hear after they're born. So they were bonded together in life and they would follow that voice for the rest of their existence. That's why you could see different flocks of sheep mingling together at a watering hole and then their shepherds would show up and each sheep knew its shepherd's voice and they would literally self-select out into the flock because they recognized the voice that they were supposed to follow. I think there's some wisdom in that. These sheep knew the voice of their shepherd and they followed. That's the beautiful part of the picture. Here's the harder part of the picture. Sheep can get distracted and go astray and get so consumed with feeding themselves that they run the risk of becoming lunch themselves. They're prone to wander. They get distracted. They're very self-centered. And we all, like sheep, are prone to wander and go astray and get distracted because we can be pretty self-centered. That's why sheep need a shepherd. There's an incredible bond between sheep and shepherds. They share a life together, and the Bible calls us sheep. I just said it. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We're in the story. We are the sheep, and Jesus Christ is the shepherd. So in this parable that Jesus shared that day, we see some incredible insights, not just into our identity as sheep, but into the heart of the shepherd. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Just so you know, in the first century, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, everybody in the room would have gone, what did you just say? There was no such thing as a good shepherd. According to Jewish law, shepherds were not even allowed to testify in court. People just assumed they were crooks and liars. There was no such thing as a good shepherd. So when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, everybody went, what are you talking about? And we're going to walk alongside of this good shepherd as he begins to share his heart. And what that's going to do is allow us access to the full heart of God today. If you're following along in your notes, here we go. Number one, the heart of this shepherd is a heart that cares. And I would add the word deeply. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This shepherd's heart is one that cares individually for his flock. He knows them by name, which means this. It doesn't matter if you feel forgotten. God knows your name. He's a bond together with each one of them. He knows every single sheep. He knows their idiosyncrasies, their differences, their quirks. He would go through this ritual every night. He would welcome each sheep into the fold and he would inspect them for ticks, for injury, for sickness. He would count them one by one to make sure that every one of them was accounted for. You can just picture him standing at the gate of the fold going 94, 95, 96, 97. 
Do you ever wonder if he fell asleep doing that? I mean, just like, wow, every night. He would never think to look over the flock and just estimate. He would never, ever do that. Ah, looks like about 100 to me. That's not in his character. No, each individual one was precious to him. They don't deserve his attention, but he gives it to them as a gift. That's what shepherds do. And that's the heart of God for every person in the room and everyone that's watching online. He knows you created you in his image. His fingerprints are all over your soul. You are his. The Bible says that God knows the very number of hairs on your head. Why would God care about that kind of trivia? Because he's meticulous. Nothing escapes the scope of his love. Number two, the heart of the shepherd is a heart that knows. Can you picture him there again? He's counting again. 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 99. Where's 100? One's gone. He knows exactly which one it is because of the bond that he has shaped with them over years. Where is 100? 100 has a name. 100 matters. There's a story told of a shepherd who was sitting on a hill minding his own business one day when Alexis pulls up beside the hill. Young hotshot business executive gets up, walks over to him and says, hey, will you give me one of your sheep if I can tell you exactly how many sheep there are on this little hill right now? Shepherd says, sure. So the young man goes to his trunk and unpacks his notebook computer. He hooks it to his cell phone. He surfs to a NASA webpage. He links it up with a GPS satellite navigation system. He opens a database, 60 Excel spreadsheets, prints out a 150-page report, and proudly announces, you, Mr. Shepherd, have 1,568 sheep. Shepherd says, that's exactly right. I guess you get to have one of my sheep. Man smiles loads a sheep up in his back seat, is ready to drive away when the shepherd says, hey, before you go, can I have my sheep back if I can tell you exactly what you do for a living? Young man's intrigued. He goes, sure, why not? He goes, you, my friend, are a business consultant. Young man goes, actually, that's exactly what I do for a living. How did you know? Shepherd said it was easy. You turned up here and nobody called you. You want to get paid for an answer that I already know and you don't know anything about my business because you didn't load a sheep in your car, you just loaded up my dog. <laughs> the shepherd knows best. He knows exactly which sheep is lost. He knows it perfectly. It's not a random animal to him. It's specific. It's number 100. The white one with the black tipped ear. It's the one that had a hard time when he was born and I had to help mama out so much I had to feed that little lamb by myself because they were both so weak at the beginning. He knows it, it's precious to him. He remembers it because it gave, he helped give it life and now it's lost and this became personal for the shepherd. It's helpless. It's not like a dog who might find its way back home. It's not like a horse that always returns to its stable. No, this little lamb is lost and it's clueless as to how much danger it's in. The shepherd knows that, so he's compelled to get involved. His heart breaks over the thought of this lamb being so vulnerable. He knows it's in danger of dying. He also knows it's completely clueless about what's happening around it. And so there's a sense of urgency as he prepares to go and rescue what's his. John 10, 14. 
Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. This might freak you out a little bit, but he knows you. All the good, all the bad, all the history, all the mistakes, all the victories. He knows the scars that mark you and the pain that put them there. He knows every piece of your story. And when he sees the scars, he doesn't step away. He moves closer because he's the only one that can turn brokenness into beauty. And isn't that what makes a relationship so special? When somebody knows you and loves you anyway? (laughs) Number three, the heart of the shepherd is a heart that risks. The story tells us the shepherd leaves the 99 behind and goes after the one. And some of us are just like, that is completely reckless. I'll remind you of something. No shepherd in this time, history, and culture ever operated alone. It says he left them in the open country. It doesn't say he left them by themselves. He would have had a series of under-shepherds that would have looked after things, but because he was the shepherd, he went looking. Now, I know some of us would read that part of it, and still, they're just like, that is not fair. Some of the justice people are in the room. How can you leave the 99 good ones and go after the one that is so, like, just so irresponsible to just keep eating, head down, get lost, wander off. I mean, let that one go and let's keep the 99 together, right? Some of us would say that's not fair. And you picture the remaining sheep organizing flock survival committees, you know, like how are we going to stay together? And you can hear them in their little sheep voices going, that's not fair. That's not fair. And you know what? You're right. It's not fair unless you're the one that's lost. And then it's beautiful. Do you know which of the 99 would have been happy to see him go? Every single one of them that have not forgotten what it felt like to be lost. If you're one of the 99 and you have been saved and you're so thankful for that, don't ever forget what it felt like to be lost and don't ever forget what it felt like to be found. The ones who'd not forgotten that, I'm sure they would just say, come on, Mr. Shepherd, let's go. Go do your thing. This is what you do. I remember when you came looking for me, you have to go looking for number 100. Bring him home. John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's just something inside of him. I can't let go of one that I created. I can't let go of one that belongs to me. And his search becomes all-consuming. He doesn't give a thought to himself. It's all about finding the sheep. Some of you remember years ago, there was a young man by the name of Scott O'Grady. He became an American hero. He, He went down his plane crashed behind the lines in the Balkan conflict. And from the moment he went down, the United States military spared no expense in securing his rescue. And I remember watching each day, they would do a briefing from military headquarters. And inevitably, one of the reporters would ask the commander who was in charge of the rescue mission, why are you putting so much energy, time, and resources into bringing Scott O'Grady home? And I loved his answer because he's one of ours. And we will not rest until he's home. God would not rest 
until you had the opportunity to come home. It cost him everything. It cost him his own son, and his son gave his life so that you could have that opportunity. The shepherd risked it all, and it doesn't make sense unless you're the one who's lost. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. For just one, I will risk it all. I have to try, even though many of them will reject my appeal to come home. Number four, the heart of the shepherd is a heart that goes. The shepherd just goes looking, goes to places he normally wouldn't go. He puts himself at risk in a way that he normally wouldn't put himself at risk. He tirelessly looks, he calls, he whispers, he walks, he searches, and God goes and whispers and calls and searches. Why? Well, let me let God speak for himself. Ezekiel 34. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places they were scattered on a day of cloud and darkness. Jesus still pursues. He's still looking. He's still calling to ones that, that, that disqualify themselves or, or say, no, I, I, I reject you outright. God still continues to call. And his goal in calling you is not to make you happy, it's to make you his. So I, before I was a teaching pastor, I was a youth pastor years ago in Steinbach, Manitoba, a little town about the size of Linden, um, just outside of Winnipeg. Manitoba, And I remember as a young youth pastor, my phone rang in the middle of the night and on the other end were two parents who were frantic because their daughter Maria had come to youth group on that night and then she never came home afterwards and they were scared. So I got up and jumped into my little Honda Prelude and started driving back and forth on the streets of Steinbach looking for Maria. I found her at the 7-Eleven. She was just talking to a friend. They got lost track of time, got caught up in the conversation. I pulled up. When I popped out of the car, <laughs> Maria turned white, and then I just said, hey, Maria, your mom and dad are really worried about you. You should probably hop in the car, and I'll drive you home. So I took her home, and when I was driving away, I prayed for her salvation because mom and dad did not look happy at all. Years later, uh, I got invited to go back to Steinbeck, and after one of the sessions at this conference thing that we were doing, I saw this young lady out of the corner of my eye. And she walked up and I'm just like, hi, Maria. She'd gotten married, her and her husband, she spent some time on the mission field, which was really, really cool. And she stopped me after the session and she said, I, I wanna thank you for changing my life that night. It's not that big of a deal, like just needed to come and look. Anybody would have done that. And she said, no, it was a big deal. You came looking for me. I wonder how many of us in this room right now, you're thinking of someone that God used to come looking for you. I know there are people in this room right now and you're thinking, okay, Jesus came looking for me. I was lost prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, one to, prone to leave the one that I love. Boy, we all have someone or the shepherd himself who came looking for us. The heart of God is someone who comes looking. Number five, the heart of the shepherd is a heart that finds. It's a great line. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
The story has this apex. The lost sheep is found. It's not actually a story about a lost sheep. It's a story about a found sheep. It's not a story about a searching God. It's a story about a finding God. Finds the sheep, takes it home, and I love what's not in the story. Nowhere in the story does it say that the shepherd is walking home going, you stupid sheep. You wandered off again. How many times do we have to do this? When are you going to learn your lesson? You miserable little cotton ball. Come on, get your act together. Straighten it out. That is not in the story. Aren't you glad that's not in the story? Pastor Brian dared me (laughs) to hold the sheep like this through the whole service and just do this all. (laughs) That would just be weird. (laughs) He doesn't browbeat the sheep by questioning its worth. He understands something. Sheep are sheep. Oh, he may have to use tough love to get that little one to stay home. But he understands. An actual shepherd actually told me this once. He said, Grant, sheep will always follow a shepherd's voice with one exception. When a sheep is sick, he'll follow anyone. Let me say that again. When a sheep is sick, he'll follow anyone anyone well here's the deal we might like to think we're one of the 99 and we're all good and and we got no worries no issues no hassle but the truth is this we're all sick sick of poor choices and bad decisions we tend to wander off we tend to get lost and we need someone to come looking and i love the story the shepherd comes and he finds he does all the work he does all the seeking all the finding all the rescuing and all of the carrying that is the heart of a finding god Last one, number six. The heart of the shepherd is a heart that celebrates a homecoming. Listen to the ending. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That last line's a little confusing. Let me unpack what it is. Jesus is pressing in on the religious people. Again, he did that a lot. He's pressing in on the Pharisees. He's reading their sanctimonious attitudes, their arrogant minds and hearts. This is what he's saying. Oh, you think you're one of the righteous 99? Here's a tough one for you. There's no one righteous, not even one. You don't think you need to repent? Oh boy, the shepherd knows different. You need to repent of your arrogance. You need to repent of your apathy. You need to repent of the fact that you think you're just fine because that's a lie. You need to repent and reconnect with your shepherd because you are so much more sick than you think you are. That's tough. The shepherd celebrates the finding. Where's his focus? One came home. I found him. I found her. They were so lost. There was danger everywhere, but I found them. Mission accomplished. All 100 are accounted for. Never gonna stop looking. I'm always going out because I can't rest until all of them are safe and home. So as we get ready to wrap up today, um, let me speak to all of the ones in the room. 
it's just a whole bunch of us, right? And we're just like, Grant, I'm, I'm lost. I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm lost. I don't know where I am, why I'm here. I can't understand any of this stuff and the world just seems to be coming more and more crazy by the day and I have no idea where to turn. Can I tell you something so unbelievably beautiful about this little one? Just turn to Jesus, he's right there. The shepherd's always right there. I want to encourage you, just like Linda did in Mount Sterling, Illinois last week, that this is the day of your salvation. Don't let the fact that I'm using a stuffed toy throw you. Today is the day for you to come home. And my prayer is that before this day is over, that you'll take a moment, that you will confess your sin, because we all have that in common that you will repent and walk the opposite direction and you'll spend the rest of your life staying as close to the shepherd as you possibly can. We see it happen here all the time. It's one of the best parts. That's, in fact, it's one of the things that I'm absolutely consumed with. If you haven't noticed this at all, I, I have this affinity to always wanting to talk to the ones because I only have one. I just want people to come to Jesus. Do you know there's over 180,000 people in this county that don't know Jesus? So many people. And there's a shepherd looking. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. So if you're one of the ones, I want you to know this story tells me God knows your name. You are not... You're not outside of his detail scope. He knows everything about you. He knows the best of you and the worst of you. He loves you anyway. And the only thing he wants today is for you to be accounted for. He's looking for you. Walk to him when you hear the voice. That's to the one. Let me talk to the 99 for just a second, okay? If your father, your shepherd, has a finding heart so should you. Let me say that again. If your father has a finding heart, so should you. Finding should be your highest priority. Participating in a rescue mission should be your highest priority. The next statement I'm going to make, it's not original to me. I did not think it up on my own, but I love it, so I'm going to steal it from somebody. And whoever said it first, I hope you get the credit. Found people, find people. Let me say that again. Found people, find people. The finding heart of God is not so that we create this insulated little holy huddle where we spend all of our times focusing on our needs and our rights and our thoughts and our opinions and our preferences and our way of doing things. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. It's us all together. This is not about our gifts and our platform and our voice and our church. It has nothing to do with that. This is all about being on a rescue mission to bring one home just one the finding heart of God is all about doing our part in partnering with the shepherd so that every person in Whatcom County or wherever neighborhood that you're in on the other side of that camera so that every single person has the opportunity to be found don't ever forget what it feels like to be lost don't ever forget what it feels like to be found it will move you and motivate you 
CTK, we need to re-engage with the mission of finding every lost sheep we can. How can we call ourselves God's people if we hang a no vacancy sign out in front of the building and say, sorry, we're full. We got 99, we're good. That would break the heart of a finding God. And I know some of you are just like, well, yeah, but Grant, this is your job. Right? That's your job. God put you in your neighborhood living beside someone who's a one on purpose because he has called you and equipped you to tell them a story about a lost one and a finding God. And I can't get to all of your neighbors, but you can. You gotta do my part? Absolutely. Do you need to do your part? Absolutely. So tough question, 99. When was the last time you actively participated in the finding of a one through prayer, conversation, and sharing your story in the finding of someone who's just as lost as you once were? I'm talking about actively being a part of a rescue mission. So many of us are so passive. Let's be honest, right? We sit at home. God, please bring someone to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. God, please, 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 please. I know you love them so much. Please send someone to my neighbor right next door to talk to them about Jesus. God, put someone in my backyard at the fence to talk to them about Jesus. Be the answer to your own prayer. 99, we can get so focused and myopic on what works for me that we completely forget that we were once a one. And there's a lot of ones in this community that need a good shepherd. He's doing his part. How about us? Yeah, but Grant, I'm just not wired that way. I know, but the heart of the God that you serve is. But Grant, I'm intimidated. I might say the wrong thing. Don't you think the shepherd would help you in that moment? But Grant, they might think I'm a, I'm a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. <laughs> yeah, they just might. What a tragedy. You want to know what I want to be known as? A Bible-thumping Jesus freak that did everything he could to bring home just one. From a couple of weeks ago, do you know what people here who engage in the shepherd's mission? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's joy and happiness. So there you go. It's just a nice little story. It's like four or five verses long. And it's all about one.
Let's pray. God, thank you for a reminder again that we have been called to align our heart with your heart. God, I thank you. I thank you for each one who's listening right now that is coming to a startling realization. I'm lost. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would confess their sin, that they would repent and they would walk towards you and not away, God, and I thank you for the promise. If we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, would you do a saving, healing, finding work today in the lives of so many ones. God, for the 99, I pray that our eyes would look outward, that we would never forget what it feels like to be lost or found. And God, I pray this week we would participate with you. God, I pray that today we would not wait for an opportunity, but we would look for an opportunity to share the story of how Jesus found us. God, I pray that today the people of God would rise up in the midst of so much darkness, so much craziness, so much anger, so much frustration that we would rise up and walk alongside of the good shepherd sharing our story that Jesus seeks, that Jesus saves. God, we unleashed a wave of kindness a couple of weeks ago. Now I pray that you would unleash a week of boldness when God's people are not ashamed of the gospel, but instead share the power of salvation with the people that you have placed around us. God, may we be bold, may we be courageous, may we follow the example of a seeking, finding God. And may the family of God grow. May the flock of God grow. May more be added to the fold because of your saving work and our partnership with you. We pray these things as we enter into the most holy week, time of the week when the church gathered becomes the church scattered. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. If you need prayer,